Welcome to Anatomy of a Leader podcast series, the sixth episode of seven. Co-hosted by board director Raquel Brigham-Brown, based in Los Angeles, California, and behavioral psychology author Timothy Maurice Webster, who lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. Raquel and Timothy invite you into their boardroom dialogue to explore behavioral and neuroscience research and transformative leadership paradigms. In this episode, Democratize 4IR. Raquel and Timothy explore the leadership needs and opportunity of the fourth industrial revolution with Sharmla Chetty, president of Global Markets, Duke University Corporate Education. Sharmla is passionate about the role leaders must take in ensuring technology has an empathetic voice that addresses and solves the greatest challenges of humanity, business, and society. You'll gain insight into the necessity of an integrated vision and leadership lens focused on alleviating poverty and equities of gender, race, education and health, full employment, and environmental stewardship. One of the things that I really do worry about is is social disparity and, and social justice. And I say that because with most of the technologies and the convergence between the technologies we're looking at at the moment, um, people who are rich, smart, um, and mainly in the middle classes, have got the ability to actually uh, roll with the punches and adapt to these technologies and take advantage of what they have to offer. It's those communities that lie outside those domains that are more likely to suffer communities that just don't have that ability to both have a say in the process of where technology innovation goes or to adapt to the potential downsides of those innovations. Sharmila Chetty, welcome to the Anatomy of a Leader podcast series. Thank you so much for having me. We're really intrigued. I mean, I've followed your career and I am not only inspired by your global vision for Duke CE, but also just you as a woman and your interests Take us back a little bit. Ta- share a little bit about you and your passion for people. So um, my, my life has really been shaped by uh, overall experiences, my family, and hardships. And through that, I was able to, you know, think about life, about learning through adversity, being curious. Uh, that actually sustained me in the long run. A way, you know, I often think about myself as buying more books than I can actually finish. I sign up on online courses that I can't complete. I, um, I think about learning all the time, new things, and also about making others great. And I, when I reflect about my own personal life, I, say, I, I, I reflect about my grandmother who lost her husband at a very early age. At 30, she was a sole breadwinner, and my dad was, you know, really young. She had an entrepreneurial mindset where she had a vegetable store in a market that sold vegetables. And when I grew up, I, I got to a certain age. My grand, I used to accompany my grandmother to the Indian market, and I think my entrepreneurial skills came very early. And that actually helped me to think about funding my own studies, being an entrepreneur. I think about, and also being very conscious about the social enablement of a society, why we need to play a bigger role in society. Because while I was growing up, you know, in, a, in, a, in the townships, you could imagine you're the child of your neighbor, you're the child of an aunt, you're the child of everybody actually supports you. 
and enables you. I learned very early that I had to succeed. I had to be ambitious. I had to develop leadership qualities because I was leading, you know, I, I captained the netball team uh, for the country. I was an athlete. And, but more importantly, I was an activist. As you know, I was expelled. Uh, my first expulsion at school was at the age of 16. And these things shape you and contribute to your life that you're an activist all the time, whether it's women issues, whether it's education, whether it's society, because right now society plays a huge role in where we are and what we're doing. You know, I think about business cannot operate without a larger ecosystem of a society at the moment. You know, there may be people who are listening who don't know much about 4IR. What is 4IR? Well, I think at the moment, if you think about it, just technology is playing a huge role and taking over. Everybody's thinking about robotics, artificial intelligence, 3D. And I see this. When I think about 4IR, I think about what is it? There is no playbook for 4IR. You know, the stakes are high, meaning that in, in, in coronavirus, we all are facing threats with a lot of technology. And what does this mean for, you know, the self as an individual, for families, for employees, for customers, for business, for governments and financial systems? Because we, you know, the digital age we are seeing right now, we need to recognize that it is knowledge-based power structures that are converted quite quickly. When I, I reflect and think of my 15-year-old nephew and how he thinks about technology, and how he's learning, I have to, you know, hold back and say, well, actually technology is fast forwarding and it's disrupting the way we think about the future. If you could open up the leader's brain and insert inside of them an understanding of 4IR, what would you put in their brain? So I, I would open it up by saying there's emerging and enduring behaviors that will guide the digital mindset. And as I think about this, the emerging behaviors are things like identifying and inspiring talent and how do they give power away? While enduring behaviors, I, I time honored ideas about ethics, trust and integrity. That's gonna play a big role. Are the leaders ready for that right now? You know, and yeah. we, you know, I, I, because I, I, I'm not too sure because a lot of times, we are governed about, you know, we're thinking about this, about profits, about downsizing. And when I think about endearing behaviors, our leaders thinking about trust and integrity as they think about their businesses. I, and I think that's the, the next area I, I want to explore really is there's this hypothesis that's on the positive side that, oh, for IR economy is going to bring all these new jobs. But as you say, what we know is that if it's not thought about in a very thoughtful way, the gaps that, it, that already exist will increase. So whether that's gender gaps, racial, you know, socioeconomic, the digital divide, it just will continue to get wider. And so what do you think leaders need to think about more intentionally and, and not only think about, but what do they need to do to make sure that these gaps 
don't just increase and in some way displace so many people. Absolutely. And I think you see that even coronavirus has elevated further uh, these gaps, you know, uh, and it's pulled the covers of things um, and especially with communities, you know, I, you know, they don't have access to Wi-Fi. And yet we think about them saying, well, you know, they can have online education. Right. And that's absolutely not possible if you're in a, in a township and you have no water and you have no access, uh, you know, to, and then you live alone having access to Wi-Fi. As the crisis makes jobs um, more difficult, right, and you're seeing women are being displaced, we need to have, we are seeing diverse talent at most risk, but we also seeing that, you know, there's a pay disparity as well, right? With gender-based right. occupations. You know, absolutely, these things are happening. Getting away of these things is not going to go away. You know, I use the example is that, you know, uh, another big risk is remote working conditions right. as an exclusion. You know, we are sending staff home to work. And in bit of actually saying the coronavirus is not going to go away, uh, you know, we're going to... And what do we do? We say to our workforce that actually um, you, you, you shouldn't be using this to, um, you know, your Wi-Fi for your children. You have to be careful. The cost is... Isn't that excluding behavior? in the workplace culture, we should be enforcing kids while you know parents are home. They have Wi-Fi's. They can do schooling on their parents' computer. I saw one organization in South Africa really doing well at that by saying that at a certain time, you should allow your child to use your computer. So these are things that are happening. But we're also seeing that if you're living in a one-bedroom apartment in South Africa, right, and you've got five family members uh, in um, at home and you need to actually you know do work you're being interrupted by your entire family you know how do we bring those things back into the workplace by saying that let's be flexible let's create flexible work hours for mothers that are single we also think can we actually help the communities you know through 4IR thinking about technology you know, could we actually think about building houses with 3D, right? Printing, right, right, could that right. actually work? Because, right. so all these are exclusions already, you know, but I think what actually happens is that some of the biases that we have undermine that inclusive behaviors, isn't it? How we think about the world, how we think about it. You know, we don't have a large... Um, you know, holistic view about about the world, especially in South Africa, especially in rural areas. You know, um, it's very difficult, you know, right now. While we're talking about digital, what I know from the boards I'm on is that there's a there's many more people who cannot work digitally because of the nature of their job. And so we have placed all this emphasis on talking about getting people to be able to work remotely, but there's far more people worldwide who don't have jobs that translate to remote. As you said, the, this virus has opened that up. And as we think about 4IR, the more technology that undergirds that economy, the more jobs 
or the potential for more jobs to be lost permanently, I think exists. And so your idea of the biases in having the conversation as though all of these gaps don't exist. It's, it's the forgotten people that if they're not brought into the dialogue by someone, it's forgotten as though it doesn't exist. You know, when I think about boards, uh, they play a very important role in understanding the immediate need and the responses of where organizations are going right now. And how do they drive that security and sustainability? And you talked about, you know, the focus of the, the you know, about jobs. You know, what is the future of work? Because there's a shifting landscape that needs to happen. Are boards proactively thinking about the future of work portfolio? and providing those options to management regarding work, you know, virtual work options, addressing the immediate need of technology connectivity for access, a wider access, and looking for new ways of um, jobs and interactions in a larger ecosystem. And then also, I think, you know, I was talking to one of my colleagues um, a few days ago, you know, our boards thinking about looking at improving the existing business processes. Blockchain is one such technology. You know, it has the unique capability of increasing transparency and record integrity. Uh, and, and not just only about transaction processing, right? And then when I think about artificial intelligence, which is at the a forefront of driving uh, data-driven scenarios, especially now, you know, the ability to deal with all the stuff that's happening regarding the emerging, you know, landscape. And then is board thinking about how do I help a larger ecosystem? That means the communities, the which they serve. Are they thinking about housing? About, are they thinking about, you know, personal safety in housing? Are boards thinking about, is there an opportunity to create housing? because you're regarding wellness of employees. How can leaders gear their mind and position themselves to lead effectively in this moment, to really be able to see what you are sharing right now? So one of the things they have to do is rethink and reinvent themselves, okay? Because they will actually recover. It's not just improving and saying, well, you know, I'm scared about... They need to take the risk. They need to actually have the opportunity to think differently, to be not fearful and unfocused. This is a time, you know, the people will, they people will look at them by saying, how do they set an example? Uh, what types of approaches they need to take? Uh, and how do they be empathetic? Can employees trust them at a time like this? You know, at a time like, because leaders are being saying, oh, I'm just so pressurized. They need to take the risk and do something. What countries have you seen, if any, who you think are doing really well on thinking about the kinds of questions and actually shaping the dialogue and shaping the way industries in their country are going to approach this new economy? Well, I see, you know, countries like from the East um, and, and, and the West, I think around the world, Everybody is trying to shift uh, the landscape. 
you know, you're seeing a lot in the tech companies and service provider firms that are creating, you know, a lot of things to move their businesses forward um, in terms of how they lead their countries to re-examine, as a good example, the supply chain for, you know, health and related products. A good example is when I think about, you know, when I think about the crisis, I think they, the, initially they would say, you know, a north-south paradigm. Um, is it, I mean, a north-south, but the north-side paradigm for me is over, right? So you're seeing multiple models coming from different uh, directions. I'm seeing a good example is Chinese charities now are distributing masks to European governments. I'm seeing Europe and the, the US are doing more for development, uh, developing countries than they've ever done before. I'm seeing some of the largest hospitals are now calling for donations from the public sector. I'm seeing China and South Korea that used to be aid recipients until not so long ago, now are helping the World Health Organization. So you're seeing a lot of organizations, uh, a lot of countries creating new business models, right? Um, at the moment, I, I, I use the example in South Africa with NetFlorist. You know, when COVID-19 hit NetFlorist, they pivoted very quickly for actually sending, you know, health products, um, you know, food baskets versus flowers. So those are great examples where you see in countries are pivoting ahead. Uh, through technology and the tech industry. And at the same time, that's in some way in response to the crisis, but is there proactive? And I say that because as we talk about all of the thought that needs to be put into thrive in this new economy as not only specific companies, but as countries, I haven't seen, and it's why I ask you the question, I haven't seen countries that I know about being proactive in shaping. I, I mostly either am seeing crisis intervention or company leadership, meaning a company has a certain technology and a certain way of thinking that they then are imposing and what it's doing, if you think about the Facebooks and the Twitters, what it's doing retroactively is requiring now government to try to put their arms around something that's spun in a direction that hasn't been helpful. For example, privacy. My sense is in 4IR, privacy, if not thought about proactively, can cause a lot of challenges and a lot of inequities and a lot of violations to people's privacy. I think you're absolutely correct. I, you know, personally, I have not seen a lot, but I've seen, you know, where tech companies are, you know, creating more challenges versus helping. I have not seen, um, you know, where it is really fast forwarded by giving free housing as an example or free Wi-Fi, as an example. I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't seen any big tech company saying, here, there's free Wi-Fi for the entire, you know, um, continent at the moment. So technology has the opportunity to help people, but it hasn't been doing that. And so it sounds like really the idea of having more of these integrated conversations, having boards, as you say, think beyond where they are, to create and think about what is the new 
world when in many cases I think of it as much more knowledge, a much more knowledge workforce based versus, you know, there's a there's the skill of technology, but in some way the major advances are around the use of the skill and the application, which is more about knowledge. So I that leads me to the, the next question, which is really really is there some great potential for this developing economy to leapfrog some of this double-digit unemployment. So some of this idle and untrained human capital, is is this new economy potentially a source? Absolutely. You know, so firstly, it's important around to create the digital readiness, which allows, you know, society to move ahead. We need to provide the put in the necessary infrastructure to support a digital economy, right? And the, the second thing is we also need to take a very human-centered, inclusive approach to technology governance. And that means is that we need to find ways to accelerate the jobs available. And we need to actually create, make sure that we create a larger workforce that can have access to these jobs. You know, we, when, I, when I think about this here, I think about if we are wanting, if globalizational and technology are transforming economies and workplace communities and families, what does this mean? Because if we, we are seeing job disruption uh, at the moment, we're seeing the raising, um, raising inequalities and a broken social contract that are creating unrest at the moment in South Africa. We saw that. We, we saw long queues where people were standing, you know, forever in queues, right, to get food. And, and this is the time now to mobilize technology and find ways to unleash the human capability and challenges that we are facing at the moment and maybe create a vision that is interconnected through growth, competitiveness, education, skills, work. In that way, we can actually make sure that all these models come together and how do we actually drive a new model that can create this change at the moment. Because right now, I'm not seeing everybody pulling together. I'm seeing we're saying robots are taking away your jobs. I'm seeing this, you know, there is, you know, uh, unemployment that is high. I'm seeing people are saying they, they don't have financial stability at the moment. So what do they do in a country like this? And I think, I mean, the integrated strategy, I think, is the key. I think it's at the organizational level, but more importantly, I do think it's at the country level. I think that the country can frame it so that it has the greatest return. And then I think also, you know, my first trip to South Africa, one of the things that struck me was how many people have mobile phones in rural areas, in townships, and that was very different than in many other places, including the U.S. And what it got me thinking about was that South Africa and Africa, probably for the most part, they skipped landlines. So they skipped that whole technology and the barrier of entry to mobile phones was very low. Whereas in the U.S., 
you know, the first, the first phones were very, very expensive because it had to create a whole new industry. And so that's what got me thinking about perhaps for IR, if it's thought about and integrated, it literally could leapfrog and provide so many opportunities for some of the alleviation of poverty and some of the things that many developing countries struggle with because they don't have to contend with some of this infrastructure that creates then the need to invest so much money to move from one platform to the other. And so I, I think that that's, that is probably yes. the answer. I'm also seeing, you know, where edge funds are using AI to beat the stock market. Have you seen that happen? Yeah, yes. And I see that was actually quite interesting for me. And I saw Google is utilizing it to, you know, Google at the moment, is using their platforms to diagnose heart disease more quickly. And so there is opportunities where we could use technology in the country here differently to take away some of our challenges, especially uh, if they, you know, we don't have capacity in hospitals. You know, can we use a platform to diagnose that you actually got diabetes? Uh, you've got some challenges at the moment. So, you know, another one was American Express is deploying AI bots to serve customers online. Right. You know, they could be, because you said we, ha we have access to the telephone, but if you don't have free Wi-Fi, how do you do that? I think as we're talking, what you've shared so eloquently is that there's opportunities at all levels of the economy throughout the world. There, you know, there's opportunities for the BRICS nation, there's opportunities for the developed nations, um, the emerging, there's opportunities, but figuring out where you fit and probably in each economy, it'll be different, but there's many opportunities. I think, you know, it, it, there's absolutely, you know, opportunities in every single economy, you know, because if you are seeing, you know, people that are, have challenges are not just in one economy, it's all around the world now. COVID-19 has given us that opportunity to see that, right? So I think for us it is, how do we shape a new social economic system that provides that opportunity for all? What do you see the greatest impediment to that happening, particularly at the board level? I mean, as you say, boards typically are given the responsibility to think long-term, but because they are operating on a profit and maximization, the focus is always very, very short term. Those of us who serve on boards, what do we need to do different? What should we be I doing? I think firstly, you know, as a board member, it's important that you understand what's happening in the market right now and think about what you're going to do to drive this from a long-term point of view. So it's not a short-term fix. So you need to focus on what is the future of work now? Uh, what can be done uh, from you as a board member or that or that board? Where to and how do you actually align to the shifting landscape by thinking differently? The solutions that you had in the past is not going to work right now. Uh, so, so you have to go in with an absolute different mindset. And the way you should be thinking about this is around, you know, previously, you're very focused as a shareholder making money for that company and for that shareholder. 
are you think bringing in all the societal implications and creating a broader context uh, for opportunities as well as for investors? And then as, are you thinking about actually saying that how do you actually, if you're wanting to help this business move forward, how do you keep an open mind for new opportunities? How do you re-examine you know, some of the things and uh, that you can do um, regarding some innovations? Are you diversifying differently than you have done in the past? Are you thinking about alternatives as well than, than you've currently had? Because a lot of times, you need to rethink your business. You can't be going with the same strategy. You may think about partnerships, alliances, um, you know, even partnering with schools. A good example is AstraZeneca partnered with um, a university. So regarding the vaccine, right. our board's thinking differently. Because if you're thinking the same, you're going to get the same outcomes. You have to think differently to get different outcomes. So it's having an entrepreneurial mindset, being open, uh, being curious, being inquisitive. That's what's happening. And also, you know, thinking like if you're looking for the same capabilities from the same industries, you can't. You need to also think about how do you actually develop new skills, bring younger generations bring women in to have diverse thinking to leapfrog you in a, going forward. So it sounds like as board members, we have a lot of changing to do. You need to assemble a team that is young, dynamic, but also you could bring different types of skills to a boardroom. You know, a lot of times, you know, you will find that boards were looking for a lot of CAs. You need human-centered skills to actually think differently, you know, with more problem-centered mindset. And so you, you'll get different solutions, right, that will right. come out. And you're right. You expect different results, but the input is always the same. And so it's hard. If, if all the board members are always the same, it's hard to get a different answer it's because it's That's the yeah. same mindset. Yeah. So interesting. Very, very interesting. And I think, as you say, COVID in some way has encouraged organizations to do things that they hadn't done before and maybe even has gotten them to think about how to accelerate movement to 4IR. You're right. And I think in South Africa, we have fast forwarded at least two years, right? And uh, if you think the world is being taken uh, over by robots, technology can help us to connect and facilitate, uh, you know, uh, people. And we found this actually right now. You can see it um, with COVID-19. Ultimately, when I reflect back and think no amount of technology can still replace, um, you know, the human touch because um, humans are still making decisions. You could see that in caregiving caregivers at the moment as well, and doctors, where humans are needed right now with COVID-19. So I knew that question would be answered about the human touch, and right towards the end of this conversation, I knew you would nail it. You know, what, what I'm grateful for about leaders like yourself, Sharmila, is that there is an extraordinary conviction about the relationship between leadership, people, and technology. It's almost like you guys are committed to that synergy between you know, the role of a leader, the impact of people on the ground, and how technology can fit. 
What are some of the things that Duke is doing to prepare the next generation of leaders to be able to tackle this conversation around 4IR? So I want to tell you first this, and this is very close to my heart. If the world is taken over by unconscious robots, right, then <laughs> we, we will need more human skills than ever, <laughs> right? Right. And, uh, you know, so we need, our technology needs to be, you know, allowing, you know, humans need to have greater control because we develop these, we, we create these robots, right? So, uh, you know, I'm very much around that. So, so what would, the first thing what Duke is doing is that we had to think about, you know, how do you turn the world of work that we know on its head as it continues to unfold? And, you know, we also thought about not just, you know, thinking about customer education, but are we preparing the children for the you know, future workforces. And, you know, a lot of us have thought about that differently, meaning that, you know, we're seeing a lot of the, the curriculums, the training curriculums that are aligned with market demand for skills. So we had to quickly um, um, ensure that we pivoted very quickly online and we had to change some of the, 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 the themes that we, we had before uh, and uh, be responsive to the new themes like leading in crisis at the moment. So we also had to make sure that the companies we were working with uh, demonstrated, you know, a digital readiness. So we helped them through those journeys as well during this time. And the, the piece that we did really, really well, I'm not too sure if you saw this, but we created hashtag lockdown and we gave free content and our thought leadership oh, wow. pieces uh, to everybody, not just to corporates, but also to communities we serve. We wanted to actually have the opportunity to let everyone learn together in this time. We saw that, you know, people were really scared uh, during this time, uh, pivoting, and, uh, you know, organizations um, were cutting their training budgets. So we thought, you know, we need to give free content. We also said that in this difficult journey, we need to allow our clients the space because they were trying to reinvent themselves. So we helped them to, um, you know, giving them free consulting, working beside them, uh, helping them to think about how do they organizational get digital ready. And it wasn't just the training programs, we, you know, through the training programs, but from a large holistic point of view. We gave them access to free webinars. We gave them access to other thought leadership like yourself, your podcast as well, you know. So whatever yeah. we had, we did. But more importantly, we had to be relevant at a time like this. So it was, we had to be, it was not about content, it was around context. So whatever themes our clients were going through, we had to align and be responsive. Re responsive. We pivoted very quickly uh, through virtual learning online uh, for our clients. And then we brought in our schools of excellence, you know, whether it was health, um, you know, different areas together to work with our clients at a global level. That's amazing. What you shared that Duxie was doing is amazing. This idea of in this time providing content that has context 
for the time and this idea of learning together. And so I believe that it relates to your very core values about what is the difference that an organization needs to make beyond their central profit making motive. And so I applaud you for, for that initiative. I think it's wonderful and I think it sets the tone as a way for others who will look at what you've done and hopefully embrace it and give them some ideas on, you know, things they can do. Sharmila, Chetty, thank you so much for joining us inside of the boardroom on the Anatomy of a Leader podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode six, Democratize 4IR. Don't miss the next episode, VUCA Masterclass. Please share this episode and the series with leaders you know who want to make a difference in the world they touch. Also, please leave a comment and rate the episode. To learn more about Raquel and Timothy, visit RadicalAbundantMindset.com and TimothyMaurice.com. And a very special thank you to our production partner, Joy Larice Johnson at JoyLarisJohnson.com.